0: Shoes, what's the matter, Morty?
1: Pearl, the Spain. French fire on the whole threat. The spring.
2: Great
0: gowns. Pearl, beautiful gowns. fashion has changed. Pearl, the No, oh, it hasn't. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni,
2: and I'm Chelsea Fairless.
0: And it's the week of Thanksgiving. There's no entertainment or really fashion news to talk about, at least not enough to support an entire show. So we are doing a hotline slash DM episode.
2: Yes, we are. Yeah, there really isn't enough news unless we want to get into Balenciaga's pedophilic teddy bears.
0: And questionable documents and photo (laughs) shoots. That was wild because I couldn't piece together what everyone was talking about because the imagery that people are calling into question is this little child holding a BDSM bear.
2: Okay, <laughs> that's a bit of a stretch.
0: That's a bit of a stretch. So this image was used
2: to promote the home collection, which we talked about last week or and we- week before last, something. The bag, the teddy bear was actually a purse that was in the show. And I think to say that this bear is overtly sexual is is insane like yes it's wearing a studded little harness but it's like the least sexual most delightful thing ever also i feel like harnesses are now mainstream fashion like you could see tori spelling walking down the street wearing a (laughs) harness you know what i mean like it's not like giving sex
0: yes it's funny because this is how much i don't know i guess our moral compass is off is you sent me that image of the little girl holding the bear when you shared the home objects page with me before we discussed it. And my only response was, oh, that kid would look like, that could be my kid.
2: Yeah, it does look like a little you that's been perverted by this bear.
0: Okay, these are the same people that say that children shouldn't go to drag brunches or something.
2: Yeah, I think Balenciaga should not have apologized. I think it's really embarrassing that they did, actually.
0: Well, it is a one-two punch. And this is where, like, liberals become as MAGA-y. Like, this is their Pizzagate. Because also, it was the one-two punch of that child holding not... BDSM, BDSM snuffleupagus. Well, we guess, we
2: called it the "We need to talk about Kevin Bear" when we first discussed it because right. it does look like it's been destroyed by a demented child who was taken to too many drag brunches. <laughs> <laughs> Little pervert.
0: But the other thing is, there's spring, summer. 2023 campaign dropped, which features our, our love, Isabel Huppert. And it's a real like 80s working woman, nine to five vibe. And this is the part I couldn't piece together when people were talking about the last few days of like, you know, these uh, documents talking about child porn that's in the photo shoot. It's like, wait, what? So basically they shot the Adidas
2: Balenciaga hourglass handbag on a desk that's covered with, you know, uh, all things that connote work, a keyboard. A
0: very Miranda Hobbs. I think we did for a photo shoot, we did once, many of these things, manila folders, documents. And yes, one of the documents, if you zoom, and I mean, blurrily, you can see a court case that is referencing creating child porn or CP as it's called so you don't get taken off of YouTube. A court case that references making child porn with digital images of children. Right.
2: But, God, I feel bad for that prop stylist. Can you imagine? The prop stylist just Googled, like, legal document and pressed print.
0: Yes, it is very clear that the prop stylist just looked up legal cases because someone notes that this seems to be the opinion of uh, the Ashcroft versus Free Speech Coalition, and she references even, I love this person, when they do so much research, but what it literally is from. So it truly was a prop stylist, you are correct, who searched a document that would give them, that would look like a legal brief. Right. Now, they could have just searched contract, but they didn't. But I don't think there's any nefarious, there's no, this isn't the fashion world version of Pizzagate right it's just an unfortunate thing that these two things dropped at the same time so they had to apologize for both
2: at the same time which is also fucked up but as if the goal of this brand was to profit off of the exploitation of children like it's completely illogical to accuse them of that
0: yeah they have full-grown people in their factories making these clothing how dare you Uh, so, Demna said on the official Balenciaga page, we sincerely apologize for any offense our holiday campaign may have caused. Our plush bear bags should not have been featured with children in this campaign. Yeah, why would you put a child with a plush bag? what <laughs> Lauren, whatever happened to fun? <laughs> We have re- immediately removed the campaign from all platforms. It seems like no one wants to have fun these days. <laughs> they also apologize for displaying unsettling documents in our campaign. We take this matter very seriously and are taking legal action against the parties responsible for creating the said and inc- including unapproved items for our spring 23 campaign photo shoot. We strongly condemn abuse of children in any form. We stand for children's safety and well being. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I feel, I mean, we have so many friends who are prop stylists and production designers that, like, I don't want someone to get blacklisted for this. Yeah, that's, imagine having
2: Balenciaga come after you. Although, if I was the prop stylist, I would try and find, like, a legal case involving Balenciaga, like, where they're suing someone for copyright infringement or something. Right. Just in case someone zooms in and wants to be a fucking psychopath. (sighs) <sighs> See, I would be terrible at the helm of a luxury brand. <laughs> I would be ousted because I my apology would be like, I'm sorry to the losers who felt the need to zoom in on an Instagram photo and then narc and cry about it.
0: Yeah, and then Chloe has to be like, we are sorry for the unsettling language our former creative director Chelsea Fairless used earlier. Ugh. <sighs> Everyone's lost their edge.
2: I think Raf Simmons decided to just throw in the towel because he's like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, we'll get into that later. Someone asked us about that. Should we just get into that now? I guess.
0: I don't really have anything to say because it's just a shock... It's one thing to, right, Margella left his brand because it was like, oh, this is getting too big. Like, people have left their namesake brands to take other opportunities. There I are... don't know
2: why he left, actually. I have no idea. It's not like he was old or anything.
0: Right. And there are brands, right, there are, There have been eponymous labels that have just closed, like Zach Posen, but a situation like Raf Simmons closing his eponymous label but still working with Prada has really never happened before.
2: Well, usually when people close their label, it's because they got a better job and it's not doing well. I think that I'm sure Raf Simmons was doing reasonably well as a brand, certainly not as good as Prada, but I feel like it's hard to be the cool designer forever. It's especially hard when Raf Simmons is one of the most influential designers ever, And it must be really fucking hard when you're trying to make a cool T-shirt and you sell your T-shirt to Dover Street Market and then 10 other T-shirts look exactly like it because all of those designers have copied you. Like the influence that he's had on streetwear and on other fashion designers is almost unquantifiable at this point. So I think sometimes now RAF stuff feels a little stale just because it's so common which sucks and also you fuck yourself over whenever you have a brand that is associated with youth culture because it's that's just like inherently not sustainable and I'm not saying that he's totally lost his edge. I mean
0: he's just tired.
2: He's tired. Yeah. But why do both Prada feels like a lifetime appointment and I like the idea that he isn't being spread so thin because for the last I don't know, couple decades, he's been doing both.
0: Well, also, that was such a phase in fashion in the 2000s, right? Between Michael Kors or Tom Ford or Marc Jacobs, where it's like, we've got our namesake brand, or I'm designing for two or three other houses consecutively. It feels like that model doesn't work anymore, and it really is about quality over quantity.
2: True, but he was able to do both. I don't think it was fun, but he definitely did it. He doesn't really make bad collections. Personally, my favorite Raph Simmons era is his shows from the late 90s. Although I also loved his last collection for Jill Sander, but I don't know if it was because of the clothes or the soundtrack, because they mixed Philip Glass's score for the hours into the Smashing Pumpkins Tonight Tonight, and that was like the finale. And you can play that at my funeral. I absolutely
0: will. We miss Smashing Pumpkins at the Hollywood Bowl, by the way. It was this past weekend.
2: That's fine. I don't... <sighs> I don't want to go to the Hollywood Bowl unless I really care about someone oh that's right
0: Chelsea declined my invitation to go into the garden box to see Danny Elfman because you had such a traumatizing experience at Stevie Nicks well it wasn't traumatic it's just like it's a
2: lot if you don't really care it's a lot for a like sure I'll just go to that show
0: I think the issue you had and what I experienced at Danny Elfman is, like, there's a very specific fan that evidently lives in Los Angeles, but we've never interacted with them before. Like, there were people that knew every lyric to Danny Elfman's weirdo experimental solo album that came out two years ago that I wasn't aware he was going to be performing for, like, three-fourths of the show. Right.
2: Yeah, that's that's cruel and unusual. No, I love the Hollywood Bowl. It's one of the best venues in the world. I'm just saying. I don't know if I'd casually go there.
0: So rap has joined the 27 Club along with uh, Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin because he designed his label for 27 (laughs) years.
2: God, it's crazy to think of a world without it. I mean, I guess it isn't because it lives on in several other
0: brands, but whatevs. Yeah, Uh, best of luck to the uh, grailed clout chasers who are going to sell his last collection, the spring, summer, 2023 collection at a big premium, I'm going to assume. Like this black market that's going to arise that has already existed. It's already already
2: there. There's nothing more expensive to buy on grailed than the earliest of Raph Simmons collections. Like that's
0: like you could buy a sweater for like $18,000, you know? Jesus. Yeah. It's like Raph left the party, but then he's just gone down the street to a cool supper club. That's the move.
2: I mean, is Prada really a cool supper club?
0: I'm sure somewhere in the stores they do have a cool supper club.
2: But he just went down the street to Prada to just make the triangle just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger (laughs) until the supper club explodes.
0: (laughs) All right,
1: shall we get into some calls? Yes. Hey, ladies. I was wondering, what are your all-time favorite outfits on Sex and the City? Okay.
2: Anything that Samantha wears in her chemotherapy era (laughs) is a personal favorite of mine. In particular, the rhinestone Jador Dior headscarf that she wears. Although, I believe they didn't actually manufacture that. I think they cut into a t-shirt and made a headscarf, which is really punk. And I like when Samantha is punk. Like, I also really like that outfit that she wears when she's wearing like a deconstructed New York Dolls t-shirt with like Pat Field hip huggers. But for Carrie, my favorite will always be the white shirt and the Hermes belt that she wears after falling into the uh, the pond with Mr. Big.
0: That's so perfect. Yeah, people love to ask Kim Cattrall about her feud with Sarah Jessica Parker, but no one asks her what we want to know, which is, does she have an archive like Sarah Jessica Parker of Samantha's clothes? Does she have that headband?
2: Yeah, I wonder what happened to that stuff.
0: Well, you know what our first question to her would be if we ever met her and got the chance to interview her? I always give the same answer. It's when Carrie in season four wears the spring, summer, I think 2000 or 2001, Chloe equestrian silk coat. And it has, when she's dating the jazz guy, she's got the tulle petticoat skirt underneath and then that weird nude bra underneath it. Yeah, is
2: it even a coat or is it a dress? Is it a shirt dress that's just worn open?
0: Well, I can tell you because... Oh, yeah, you... <laughs> Bitch, you have that dress. I know, because Shrimpton Couture put it for sale last year, and that was my Christmas present to myself. It is a dress. It is so fragile. It fits me perfectly. I've been waiting for the right moment. I assume we're gonna do live shows next year. I will dress up as <laughs> Carrie in that outfit. But I think look, it's one of my favorite Stella McCartney Chloe collections ever. So there's that. And there were multiple pieces that were placed. Like she wears the the horse pants. Yeah. And shoulda, woulda, coulda when she finally tells Aiden that she's had an abortion. So yeah, it's one of my favorite collections. And then also just the styling is so perfectly Patricia Field and so reflective of what we imagine Carrie's style is, right? Something that is straight off the runway, which we don't even know how she got it, with like a weird tulle skirt and then an ugly bra, because why not? No, it's it's a really good look. And then later in the evening, she's just wearing a zip up grandpa sweater, which I love that like for some outfits, you just got to put on a cardigan or something. Yeah. There's no way to top it.
2: So a couple of these questions were submitted via DMs, which people DM us about shit a lot. So we thought we'd include some of them. So in honor of Tar, what are your favorite films about glamorous women having nervous breakdowns?
0: So another person did DM us and was like, do you have a letterbox account? And I know a lot of people have them. And I feel like yeah, it's
2: weird that you. It's weird that you don't. Like it's normal that I wouldn't, but you should
0: probably. But I think that like most things that we do, instead of me just having one, I feel like every outfit should just have a letterbox so we could talk about these things. Okay, we could. The people, (laughs) tens of people, have asked for this, Chelsea. (laughs) So we must. Okay, I would say that the patron saint of this kind of film in the modern era would be John Cassavetes' A Woman Under the Influence. Yes. Uh, For those who have not seen this film, it is a pillar of independent cinema. It is written and directed by John Cassavetes, who you may, if you don't know of him, he was the husband to Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby.
2: Another iconic um, film in the genre.
0: And starring his wife Jenna Rollins, it is about a woman quite literally losing it under the pressure of her of societal expectations of the time and probably a healthy dose of mental illness. And I believe alcoholism. But um it's anchored by an astonishing performance by Jenna Rollins.
2: Yeah, I love that movie. It's so good. And I saw that years ago, but I only saw another Jenna Rollins, John Cassavetes joint opening night for the first time last week. Have you seen that? I haven't. It's on Criterion Channel now, right? I don't know. I don't have Criterion Channel. (gasps) I know it's sacrilegious, but... That movie is amazing. You can really, it's about like Jenna Rollins plays a Broadway star that's on the verge of having a nervous breakdown as it gets closer to opening night of the play. And it is very much a precursor to Black Swan. And it also is very Tar-esque in the way it's structured around this big event. But yeah, highly recommend. It's twisted. She's
0: crazy. She loves to be crazy. I mean, that's why they made their own films is because Jenna Rollins was so classically beautiful she wanted to act and so they wrote roles for the things that she wanted to do and their friends wanted to do I mean Peter Falk is her husband and woman under the influence yeah great movies we said Black Swan Black Swan goes without saying I feel like we should also mention Sunset
2: Boulevard just because it is so foundational right in this particular genre and like super influential I also thought about the hours which I love because it's the three leads are having simultaneous (laughs) nervous breakdowns (laughs) which is fun I know that Nicole Kidman won the Oscar but I do think that Meryl Streep's nervous breakdown was the best although Julianne Morris was maybe the saddest and also she had a nervous breakdown in espadrilles
0: which is even sadder yeah and also Jeff Daniels as a very urbane gay man I would put forth when people are like no straight actors should play gay roles it's like have you seen jeff daniels in (laughs) the hours seriously yeah that's the hill i'm gonna die on i mean there's so many different branches of this kind of film which maybe this is like our thesis is kind of naming all of them because You're right. There's There's dozens. There's kind of the murderous arm of it. And I would put Abel Ferrara's Miss 45, which is, I will say, a very sloppily handled rape revenge film, but very period specific. But she becomes, spoiler alert, an assassin and she murders everyone.
2: Well, a lot of them are murderous and a lot of them it's weird because some of some of the nervous breakdown movies it's like okay you understand like why they're having nervous breakdowns like a who's afraid of virginia wolf or something like that's normal yeah but then there's ones like rosemary's baby or something where it's like supernatural supernatural
0: is she having a nervous breakdown like what's going on thrillery yeah there's a there's a i would also say if no one's seen the film gaslight with ingrid bergman from 1944 see that's
2: up there with sunset boulevard
0: yeah as a foundational thing it is where the most overused phrase of the 2020s comes from <laughs> it's because her husband is driving her crazy by lowering the levels of the gas the gaslit lights. light yep there are certain actresses who have done a lot of these roles Julianne Moore is one of them I think yeah. her first attempt at this would be in Todd Haynes safe yes 1000 but that's also that's like a justifiable breakdown right like, we we get
2: that. Like, fair girl, like, you have to live in a fucking pod in the desert for the rest of your life and not in, like, a chic Joshua Tree way.
0: Although if you remade it today, it would be. I would say Catherine Deneuve is another leading lady of this genre with repulsion with Roman Polanski, which is about sexual repression and a woman losing her mind in an apartment.
2: Yeah, over- Isabelle Huppert, obviously. I also want to give a shout-out. Another sub-genre within this genre, which I really fuck with, is the ones where you can't tell where, like, one crazy bitch ends and the next begins. So, like, three women? Like a three women, which I think was based on Persona, I think, or in, in some sense. But that's another one like that that's perfect.
0: Right, so three women is directed by Robert Altman. That's, yeah, probably his interpretation of Persona.
2: Also, another underrated, a more underrated Robert Altman in the genre is Images starring Susanna York, which I think was like the film he did either the year after, the year before Three Women. So similar vibes to that and opening night and set in like one of truly like one of the most fabulous houses I've ever seen in a film. And yeah, Susanna York plays a disturbed children's book author.
0: So that's the closest we're going to get to um, *Door*. right? Is that the children's book
2: Oh, Dare Right. Dare Right. Yeah. The,
0: yeah, the Lonely Doll. That's the closest we're going to get to that.
2: Also, I do feel like Susanna York is another sort of icon of the genre. But yeah, I could talk about this forever. I mean, there's there's just so many great movies. These are all my favorite movies.
0: Um, yeah, perhaps this will be a multi-part Patreon series as we map out all the different sub genres within this sub genre of glamorous women having nervous breakdowns
2: and by the way guys we understand that there's nothing glamorous about mental health issues i mean we do spawn for better help for god's sake
0: <laughs> but you know the leads of these are just glamorous women is what we mean to say
2: glamorous women can have mental health problems too okay julianne Moore. not might... just average looking people okay
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, Julia Moore is covered in sores and safe, but
2: she's still glamorous. <laughs> yeah, she's still hot. Would smash. Next call.
1: Hello, my name is Georgio from New York, and I was just hearing your episode where you spoke about wee exploitation. I was thinking, is that the same thing as um, exploitation of Italian culture, like movies like the Lizzie McGuire movie, Gwen Stefani's music video from the early 2000s called Cool, um, but, yeah, let me know any other examples because I think it's the same thing. Same thing, babes. Love you guys.
0: So – I'm going to pitch the name for the genre as Sploitation. Oh, that's much better. I, I was thinking seasploitation, but
2: exploitation.
0: We should say that there is an exploitation genre native to actually several to, cultures. No, no, no. I was going <laughs> to say to Italian cinema, the Spaghetti Western and then Giallo films. But this is we're talking about like when Americans try to like dig into Italian culture and films similarly to we exploitation.
2: Yeah, but unlike we exploitation which is limited to Paris and perhaps like a trip to the French countryside right. within the story, chow exploitation is like all of Italy, Sicily, what have you. Wherever you want to go sploitation is Under the Tuscan Sun. Yeah. Eat, Pray, Love. Eat, Pray, Love is, yeah, the, the first one that came to mind for me. I assume that the book club sequel Oof. will be exploitation. Nom, nom, nom.
0: Yeah, we should say the foundation of this is certainly all around Fellini and his heightened idea of Italian culture that he kind of bequeathed to audiences in A and a Half and La Dolce Vita. And then I would also say like Audrey Hepburn in Roman Holiday. Right. Because so much of a part of child exploitation is people recreating these kinds of moments, right? Someone is always on a Vespa. Someone's in the Trevi Fountain. Either in well, the to Trevi- be fair,
2: that is how Italians get around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Though. No, I, I get it. I would also add Only You, which is a film with Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr. If you're looking for just like a good 90s rom-com, it has a surprise appearance by Billy Zane. See, this would excite Only You. But um, bum That's <what> called, <laughs> Only You. No, people are going to call it and be like, I love Only You. Now, question for you. Would you put House of Gucci in Chowsploitation? exploitation? No. The way that it's handled. Oh, you know what? Yes, just because
2: of Jared Leto. Yeah. If there was no Jared Leto in this film, I would say no. You are like an elephant with no butthole. Yeah, he's what. You are broken, uh. (laughs) Mahalta. Stop. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's so true. Speaking of Italian culture, thoughts on the latest White Lotus episode? Oh. I mean, I'm in. I love this season more than the previous season. I loved this episode the most, maybe, because I feel like, episode four, because I feel like it turned into a full farce once they got to the dinner scene with the son on the date with the sex worker that the dad fucked, the piano player that the The, other sex worker poisoned. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's so good. It's so satisfying. Let
0: us not forget that F. Murray Abraham, the grandfather, saw them naked as well yeah I'm so curious to see where this is going
2: well I really I'm stressed about whatever's going on with Aubrey Plaza and that situation like it's like girl just tell him you found the condom wrapper but that's also on him like if someone presses you and presses you and you have done something kind of fucked up that just cop to it I know you can't double down and just keep lying also I feel like I would respect someone if they were like look babes like I was broing down I got really (laughs) fucked up what's his face started talking to some sex workers I didn't want to seem like I wasn't you know down to hang we did some drugs like He started fucking one of them. The other one was coming up to me and like kiss me. And then I finally like I was like, oh, fuck, I need to get out of here. And I did. And I went home and I threw up and I'm sorry because I feel like to be able to extract yourself from a situation like that is actually quite impressive.
0: It is, and I think Mike White has delved into something very specific in heterosexual relationships, which is straight men will, like, double down. Like, the way that Aubrey Plaza's looking at him, especially the last time she's like, what happened that night? The fact that he can't figure out, like, oh, she probably knows something. Like, yeah,
2: seriously. The
0: confidence that straight men have that they can get away with shit that they very much cannot get away with. We'll get into this on another call <laughs> that's <is> coming. <laughs>
2: Anyway, next call.
1: Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Lauren. I just finished listening to the latest hotline episode. It was amazing, as usual. And I have two stories to tell you. The first one is okay, maybe you're not going to be able to play this on the podcast because it's a little.
0: Hey, guys, it's Lauren jumping in to say she is correct. We can't play this part of the story. So we'll just jump to the next part.
1: This same guy. We just started dating. I live in Paris. He lives in LA. And I just wanted to have your thoughts on long-distance relationships. I assuming that Chelsea, you were in one. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to know what you feel about it, how to make it work.
0: I'm gonna let you answer this. I don't really have. Yeah, I have so much add. advice about this
2: because my wife and I were in a long-distance relationship for two and a half years. It was a Los Angeles to Sydney, long distance, which is a really, really long distance, actually. And it sucked. And I feel bad for anyone in a long distance relationship. So, which is why I always say if it's not serious, just don't be in one. Right. It's too annoying and it will prevent you from meeting someone that you actually want to date or can date you know someone that lives in your zip code or at the very least like you know within
0: state lines or just they live in atwater
2: you live in culver city like it's you can make it work
0: yeah what are we defining as long distance relationships because in los angeles like a santa monica to Glassell park that might as well be you know san diego or something (laughs) oh hi
2: it's so true other tips let me think um
0: can I just say not to pimp out our book but you did put your experience in our book we should all be Miranda's
2: oh yeah I did write like a a something about long-distance relationships it's so long ago you can't remember I actually don't remember um so yeah you can look at that if you want to but one thing that I think is important is assuming you're in like a passionate long distance relationship it's good to have like when you say goodbye after actually seeing each other like it's so much easier to do that if you have other plans like if you're like in two months we're gonna do this or oh, right it's really hard saying goodbye to someone when it's like you have no idea when you're gonna see them again
0: And I think it's also important to have a best friend who's terminally single so that you can always (laughs) spend Valentine's Day with them, which was us. Like we saw Phantom Thread together on Valentine's Day. And still to this day, because Tat's always
2: traveling. I know. Working on Valentine's Day.
0: We saw Jackass Forever together this Valentine's Day.
2: Yeah. And lastly, I would say another thing to remember when you're long distance, like it puts a lot of pressure on the little bit of time that you actually do get to spend together. So if you have a fight or if like your dream date doesn't go perfectly, then you like think it's a sign that the relationship is in trouble, blah, blah, blah. But like,
0: just don't put that much pressure on it because like no other couples have to deal with that. And then, you know, if you can get a book deal where you can just go to their home country for a few months (laughs) and live with them as you did.
2: <laughs> All right. Speaking of drama
1: overseas, guys, do you remember when Lindsay Lohan designed for Ungaro?
0: I suppose perfect timing because last week we did talk about Lindsay Lohan, and I just forgot how chaotic this five-year period is from 2007, which is like when her arrests begin, to 2009, was when the Ungaro show was to. 2012, which is her last starring role, and like the Oprah series is somewhere in between there, I believe. I have to say, looking back at the show, not that bad. (laughs) Like, it could be worse. Okay, that is a
2: piping hot take. It could be worse in the sense that. When you look at this show now, all of these dresses look like things that could be sold on Revolve today. Not forward, they're more expensive vertical, but good old-fashioned Revolve. Like, this is still how people dress.
0: Oh, absolutely. I guess my point is, my hot take that it's not so bad, is compared to how it got universally panned. Well, it
2: is really bad, Lauren. I think, I think... The pasties were the biggest point of contention, the heart-shaped pasties. But I actually think that those hold up more than most of the dresses do. That tuxedo with no shirt and heart-shaped black pasties does not look dissimilar from the kind of stuff we've been seeing from Saint Laurent for the last 10 years. I mean, it's shittier version of that. It's it's the Zarafication of Saint Laurent.
0: That's what I was going to say. Is especially that was like orange and red outfit. Like it really makes you appreciate that. Even though Saint Laurent does that silhouette, they do it so much better. You can tell why there's a difference between that and you're right, a Zara interpretation of it.
2: Also, we're talking about her first collection. She did technically do two collections, which she did in collaboration with the actual head designer which is this chick named Estrella Arcs, who I believe actually designed this stuff because Lindsay Lohan was hired as the artistic director which is a very nebulous title
0: last week I made my feelings known about Lindsay Lohan and the audience knows this but I do feel like people being a little too mean to her and about her in regards to this collection because it's like yeah it's a made-up title she's not a stylist she didn't design anything they paid her they should have called her a brand ambassador why they didn't who knows?
2: They did it for the press. They did it because I don't know who owns Ungaro, but whoever owns this brand is like a raving mad lunatic. Like the fact that Emmanuel Ungaro still exists in the year 2022 is like fucked up. Like someone needs to like take it out back and shoot it. Jesus
0: Christ. Someone needs
2: to, seriously, like someone needs to drive it to the vet and like have it put down. Right. Because... There's no reason for this brand to exist. They've never hired designers that I've liked. It's never actually come together. And I think they just need to stop subjecting us to this. They need to stop subjecting poor journalists from covering this shit. Unless they want to hire Richard Quinn. Because he's the only person that cares about florals and polka dots as much as Emmanuel Ungaro.
0: Now that is interesting from the press coverage I read and many of the articles are still up from that fashion show it seems that people were just pissed off that she was named artistic director and it was clear she didn't do anything and also it was just such a fucking shit show to get to like I guess the fashion show happened at the Louvre, but like the mall slash cafeteria underneath the Louvre. So that already annoyed people. It was a zoo because of all the security and paparazzi that are around Lindsay Lohan. So they were already in a bad mood. Right. Do you remember Lindsay Lohan's first foray into fashion? No which in 2008... Wait, wait. When she styled uh, the models for that
2: fake shoot during the parent trap with the late Natasha Richardson, may she rest in
0: peace. You know what? You're actually correct. I was gonna say that in 2008, she launched a leggings line called 6126 after Marilyn Monroe's birthday. Oh, wow. Remember that?
2: No, I actually forgot about that. It's in my House of Harlow 1960 garbage bin in my mind. Speaking of Revolve,
0: that still exists. But she was ahead of the curve in charging 140 dollars for leggings you know gwyneth paltrow and aloe yoga should thank her yikes
2: on to the next
1: hey guys um can we talk about the newest Nepple model amelia gray she's the daughter of lisa renna and harry hamlin from the real housewives of beverly hills it seems like this latest fashion week has sort of been like her debut she was all over my fashion tiktok walking for diesel Delara Richard Quinn, and hanging out with Mel Ottenberg and Julia Fox. I guess my question is, how high can her star rise? Um, Gigi and Bella got famous because their mom, Yolanda, was on Real Housewives. So do we think Amelia is also destined for supermodel status?
2: The rapid ascent of Amelia Gray Hamlin proves that any hot girl on Instagram is only an eyebrow bleaching away from being cast in a Balenciaga show, and I think that's inspiring.
0: Well, there's something more to this, which is if you look up her photos when she was dating Scott Disick, she's very beautiful. She looks like Lisa Renna, as you might imagine, being her daughter.
2: She's like also one of those models that looks like a young Brooke Shields with a giant fluffy brow.
0: Right, but she looks like the stereotypical hot LA girl. And it's more than just the bleach eyebrows. She's become a little, I'm not saying she's an artsy weirdo, but she's adopted the aesthetic of an artsy weirdo. And we used to say this about Kendall Jenner all the time. Like Kendall Jenner was on Japanese Vogue a few years ago where they just dressed her a bit like an art goth weirdo. And we were like, that's the look she should go for. And that's what Amelia Hamlin Gray is doing.
2: Yeah, she got an Isamaya French beat and she's good. So good for her.
0: Yeah, I think like Gigi and Bella, I don't think it's a real Housewives of Beverly Hills pipeline necessarily, although, you know, yes, this is the third in line but certainly Bella and Gigi there's a few factors right Bella and Gigi got pop star boyfriends of the moment Bella was dating The Weeknd when she first started out Gigi was Zayn Malik now she's dating Leonardo DiCaprio I think they have the right look of the moment and I think Amelia Gray Hamlin certainly has that and if she started to date like davidson or like a jake gyllenhaal or something that would yes put her in the superstar arena but she'll be in a diesel campaign she'll be in the balenciaga campaign yeah yeah it's only a matter of time before she dates someone really famous and lisa renna can finally rest (laughs) she can finally be okay with being put on pause on the real housewives of beverly hills her work is done
1: (laughs) hey guys i was actually just listening to your podcast i'm a a newer fan a newer guest and I just uh, was curious about your thoughts on SCU and Law and & Order. I just watched the latest John Oliver. He had a whole bit on how Law & Order, you know, uh, is more of a pro-police, anti everyone against the police kind of
0: thing, you know? I mean, the short answer is yes.
2: Yes, SVU is definitely copaganda.
0: I mean, not for me who can tell the difference between a fiction for entertainment show and real law enforcement agencies, but all I can say is that Elliot Stabler definitely needs a body cam. (laughs) Like...
2: But even Olivia Benson beat the shit out of a suspect that was in custody once to the point where she got like suspended and her gun taken away and shit. So it's like they all use excessive force. They also like fully entrap people. They also do fucked up shit like, I forget if it's Kragen or Stabler that like sent some guy to prison for 20 years and he turned out to be innocent. Like it's fucked. Well, when you have a
0: conviction rate of 97% like (laughs) Elliot Stabler, that's bound to happen a few dozen times. Look, SVU may paint
2: a very rosy picture of cops but i wouldn't say that it does so about the criminal justice system because half of the time the survivors don't end up getting justice a lot of svu endings are very film noir-esque like the bad guys win
0: I think it's a push and pull. Certainly because this show has been on for 30 plus years, there's enough data to understand that, the way that it shapes how people think law enforcement agencies work and how law enforcement agencies, if you watch the John Oliver piece, uh, Warren Light, who's a SVU producer on some podcast a couple of years ago, said that he's learned that cops watch SVU to learn how to investigate sex crimes because there's not enough training. I think they get like four or five days of training. So they watch SVU instead. Well, I hope they watch the
2: new episodes because even watching the old episodes, you see shit that you would never see now. Like I watched an episode the other day and it's like, there's like a five-year-old girl getting a pelvic exam and Elliot Stabler is like in the room, like asking her questions. And it's like, well, this would never happen now.
0: Yeah, so the way that it shapes the agencies, you can say is not great. Dick Wolf has talked about how he has portrayed law enforcement in a good light because he wants to still be able to shoot in New York. (laughs) And he's afraid if he shows a realistic portrayal. I mean, this is between the lines of things he said, but essentially it's like, if I don't portray them in the best light, what stops them from being like, you can't shoot on this block now and creating problems that way, which says a lot about (laughs) the New York police force. But the other side of that, when you hear Mershka Hargate talk about how it has informed people who've been sexually assaulted to know what, To do next, as horrible as that sounds, but it's given a voice to people who were previously voiceless. So, you know, it's a mixed bag, as you would say.
2: Yeah. And it's also, while the survivors don't always get justice, they are believed by the cops, which I think is different than other media representations, than real life in many instances, quite tragically, you know. So that's a powerful thing.
0: And I feel like you can speak more to this than I could, but from the outside looking at these shows, there is something comforting about the formula. I think that's a lot of it. Oh yeah. Which is that a crime occurs and it is solved or there is some conclusion within an hour. And that's not how life works. And it's comforting to see that life could be this way in a parallel reality. The problem is when people think what they're seeing on TV is truth. Right, well,
2: sometimes it kind of is when it's ripped from (laughs) From the the headlines. headlines.
0: Yeah, I mean, they purposely make it confusing, but they get into this on the the John Oliver segment, which we'll link in the show notes, but, you know, people don't bring this energy about, like, Station 19 or Grey's Anatomy, you know? Yeah. That's not... That doesn't accurately portray the medical system or the medical world either. It's true. It's just television, guys.
1: Lauren and Chelsea, I just had to call because I just listened to this week's podcast about the new Taylor Swift album, and Lavender haze, I'm shocked. I'm shocked by your interpretation that this is about Joe. Uh Lavender is the color of lesbians, first of all. And second of all, Taylor made it very clear that these are not new songs that just came to her in the last few months. But these are snippets of musings she's had in the middle of the night for years. So I'm going with this is all about lesbians, all about probably Carly Cloth, whatever it was, but that was a relationship, um, whether they, you know, touched each other or not. Anyway, I was, I was so surprised. I really thought you guys would go there. Um, you're the best. Seriously. Thanks for the podcast.
2: Bye. Okay. I really appreciate your passion on this topic. And as I've previously mentioned, I too am a Gaylorslash Kaler conspiracy theorist.
0: Okay, so, but for someone like my dad who's currently listening to this, can you go over what Gaylor and Kaylor is?
2: Gaylor is just people that believe that Taylor Swift is bisexual, and Gaylor is a specific gay conspiracy theory that relates to a belief that she had a romantic and sexual relationship with the model Carly Kloss, who was her best friend that she had a
0: falling out with. And I'm sure that falling out has nothing to do with her proximity to the Trump administration. It's all gay drama. Well, it didn't because this was way
2: before that. Ooh. A lot of people accused Taylor Swift of queer baiting when she released Lavender Haze, which is like, okay, calm down. Before lavender was a color associated with queer people it was literally just a color
0: well and also lavender haze was a common phrase to describe being you know like having puppy love in the 1950s it's actually used in a scene in mad men which i watched a clip of i didn't watch mad men i'm sure someone's gonna scream at me but i guess Don draper is talking about betty and i assume a flashback scene to a woman and she goes oh you're in lavender haze
2: And that is what Taylor cites as the inspiration, which actually is kind of no homo. Like that actually kind of does make me think the fact that she like preemptively before the song even came out had she to knows. explain because yeah, exactly. But I still think this is about Joe Alwyn, but I do think that question may be about Carly Kloss. But it is not as much of a smoking gun as the very first night from the red reissue, which we discussed. Also, another thing, I love Taylor, but I do not believe that she wrote every song on this album while she has insomnia. Like, a person (laughs) with insomnia could never write a song like Bejeweled. Like, that just doesn't make sense. That
0: doesn't feel like a sleep adult song to you? No.
2: Look, I can't speak for Taylor, but I think you get really introspective late at night. And I would think that late at night, she would be writing her singer songwriter e songs, not her, like, kids-bop bangers.
0: Oh, so you need in the liner notes the time of day she wrote each song. I just think that it's a really genius
2: framework in which to market an album called Midnight's, but I do not believe that these were all written while she had insomnia. I believe they were written in different time periods because, as I mentioned before, it's not the most cohesive of (laughs) Taylor albums, although it is still fabulous.
0: I also want to say that fuckets let me know that I was incorrect. Taylor did write a song about Tom Hiddleston, and it's Midnight Rain. Oh, yeah. I had seen a TikTok saying that that song was about Taylor Lautner, uh, and I was wrong to believe that. (laughs) But, I mean... I feel like Tom Hiddleston could put a feather in his cap because arguably her two best Best songs songs have been about him. (laughs) About like a three-month situationship, whirlwind situationship that they had. Yeah,
2: he got some good songs for sure. Also, now that I've had time to fully digest the 3 a.m. version of Midnight's... Right. Right. I do stand by the fact that it's not that good. Although I do think that bigger than the whole sky is a very beautiful song. And I also kind of think could have, would have, should have is good. It's a, it's a fun song about grooming, grooming, presumably done by John Mayer. Mayer. Yeah. Moving on.
1: Hey guys, I literally just called like two seconds ago, but I forgot that I wanted to call and tell you all the story because it's actually horrible and I can't carry it around with me alone. And I think that you would appreciate it because it's actually horrific, but it's really funny. So I just broke up with my boyfriend who had some pretty severe mommy and daddy issues. And a month ago we were bucking and then he goes into the bathroom and I thought, okay, well, I guess he's just going to like clean up. Like I, don't, I don't really know what he's going to do. And I can't make this up. I go into the bathroom, and there's a puddle of jizz on my counter, like two inches away from my survey. I said to him, like, could you not make it? His answer was, where am I supposed to put it? And I thought, anywhere but the granite. And I shit you not, we broke up the next day. And it was for other reasons. But when I regret my decision, I think back to that moment and having to ask him to clean it up. And I think, wow, I really dodged a bullet.
0: I'm glad the fuckettes know that horrific yet funny is our brand. I just tell unchecked male heterosexuality will never cease to shock me. Like the detail of two inches from her Sarah V. (laughs) Yeah, that's haunting. Quite the visual. I think she needs
2: to throw that out. It seemed too much. Oh, the CeraVe? Yeah.
0: Honestly, we'll just Venmo you, whatever. Is it the moisturizing facial cream? That's what I use. Yeah, what do
2: you need? We'll send you a replacement.
0: So I asked for this call to be included, one, to help this caller unload, pun intended, (laughs) this story onto others, and two, because I related to this call. Now, fortunately, I've never had a guy live a jizz puddle on my marble mantle, but I think self-induced ick is an important and unsaid part of getting over someone.
2: I love that there's no question. Oh yeah. By the there way, no question. It was just like an oral history of this woman's trauma. And yeah, we're, we're very sorry this happened to you. It made me think of Gabrielle Stanley Blair's new book, Ejaculate Responsibly, which has been getting a lot of press because she's basically trying to reframe the abortion debate around ejaculation and around men because if they ejaculated more responsibly then so many unwanted pregnancies, abortions would not happen. But I think that part of responsibility responsible ejaculation should be like not not surfaces like that and just the fact that he was like well where am i going to put it that's what yeah. that's what triggered me it's like okay fine you are fully welcome to come on my what was it countertop no he's
0: not welcome
2: to come on the he countertop. can come on the countertop if he cleans it up throws it in the trash and i never know that it happened then i don't give a shit
0: Yeah, that's the other problematic part of this or upsetting part of the story where he seems indignant that he would have to clean it up. It's like, so you think I should have to clean it up. So yes, you are right to remind yourself of this story when you think that you should be getting back together with this person. Look, there's a guy out there for you who will not come on your countertop or if he does, he will ask for consent first and or clean it up afterwards.
1: Hey, Chelsea and Lauren. This is big calling of Intern Files fame, and I will absolutely not stand for the interns and I to be slandered on the Every Outfit podcast.
2: Fuck. I want to formally apologize to Big. That's actually his name, by the way. Oh, wow. Big, my former intern who I viciously slandered. I had no idea that he listened to the podcast, and I can't remember how this came up, but on a previous episode, we were talking about the fact that I once appeared on a V-Files web series called Intern Files.
0: It's when Tat was on, because Tat would watch that, and she fell in love with you.
2: Right where I tortured the interns with fashion trivia, and I thought it was scrubbed from the internet, but my friend Preston, who hosted Intern Files, graciously sent me a Vimeo link, so I will include that in the show notes. To think I got no reality TV gigs after that. So brutal.
0: Look, there's still time. True. E, we are available. We heard you canceled Nightly Pop.
2: (laughs) I wonder why. If we're not the audience for Nightly Pop, who is? Also... It always surprises me when people that I actually know listen to the show religiously, but they don't tell me they listen to the show. I'm sure we get some hate listens too. But like, that's almost as good as... Yeah. That's almost better than like a non-hate listen because it's like, you think we're annoying, yet you still can't stop yourself from listening
0: the funniest experience that I have and I don't know if you have this but I'll text a friend and they'll be like that's so weird I was just listening to you or I've like called friends and they're like oh I was just listening to the podcast and now I'm like hearing you and then hearing you I guess I'm not so much talking
2: about close friends as more like acquaintances or people I haven't seen in a long time you know that I just I don't know so it's always fun though I love that thank you for your call big I will try and do better
1: hey Lauren hey Chelsea this is elizabeth from nashville a longtime listener since f1 and i'm thrilled to finally have an excuse to call the hotline i have decided that i want to build a capsule wardrobe for a few reasons one i have too many clothes that i never wear two i don't like to spend a lot of time deciding what to wear and three buying fewer pieces means i can spend more on them or at least that's how i will rationalize it i was wondering if you had any general advice on how i might approach this important endeavor or even specific tips on things like how to pick my base color, my neutrals and accent colors, or where to buy the most versatile pieces. I am absolutely terrible at this stuff, so any advice will go a long way. Thank you.
0: So there's having a capsule wardrobe, and then there's having a uniform. Like Jay Leno wears a Canadian tuxedo – the comedian and actor Jason Manzukis has a uniform of a white button-down shirt and then dark wash jeans. And then he will switch up his outerwear. I don't know. I have a very conflicted relationship with capsule wardrobes. What about you? I think it's
2: a great idea. It's how I am trying to structure my wardrobe after all of these years. And I do think that Donna Karen really had it figured out with her seven easy pieces, which were a bodysuit, a skirt, a tailored jacket, I don't think the jacket has to be super tailored. I think you could do a looser fit jacket and it would have the same effect. Anyway, dress, white shirt, cashmere sweater, and something leather.
0: That's nice because it gives flexibility. Because if you go on Pinterest and put in capsule wardrobe, it's like the same seven items, right? It's like a black jean, a dark wash jean, a striped shirt. And I think the problem is you need to have basics, but then you also need to have things that are essential to a capsule wardrobe like a trench but yeah a trench
2: should be in here as should a boot cut jean
0: but a different version of that I think you need statement pieces even if they are essential capsule items like the Frankie shop right now has this cool vinyl green trench
2: yeah I want a vinyl or a leather trench I need that
0: so that's what I'm saying so there's an idea of having a uniform where like the base elements are the same like
2: we're talking about the base elements. You need things to zhuzh it up, but I feel like it's better to have the base elements be really simple and then do the, the do the trench coats. Like, obviously you need like a party dress here or there that's not like right. something that you're wearing every day, but
0: for your everyday shit. There's a silhouette like you've recently adopted, which I love and I wish I could be this person, but like a long skirt and some kind of top, a sweater, a button down, and that's like the base items and then you sort of zhuzh on top of that. Capsule wardrobes indicate like a range of pieces from pants to skirts and dresses and outerwear.
2: But still it's like at the end of the day the shit I wear is not that dissimilar it is just like the button-down shirt the trench coat like the boot cut jean all of that boring shit.
0: I guess our advice is get that boring shit stuff which it is nice to get higher quality pieces but those are things that you can easily find at costs, at Uniqlo at Everlane all of that kind of stuff but I think it is important to mix in a vintage leather jacket a vinyl trench or you know like a fur bag or some piece that is going to kind of kick it to the next level well I feel like it's best to invest
2: in like a designer bag or shoe to kick it up, like get like a Prada loafer or something right And then just wear like, you know, your Uniqlo cashmere sweater or whatever.
1: Hello, I'm doing a rewatch, of course, which I do every couple months of Sex in the City. And this is my problem. Why do we hate Alexander Petrovsky so much? Why did they make him into such a villain? I feel like he was very direct with Carrie about what he wanted. He didn't actually do anything wrong. It just, it bothers me. I don't know if anybody else has these feelings. He wasn't like a burger, you know? He wasn't horrible. He maybe wasn't right for Carrie, but I don't know why they turned him into this, like,
2: monster who, like, beats women. I mostly agree with this. There was no need to
0: demonize this man. He definitely did not slap her. That is the weirdest. I forget about it every time, and that was such an odd choice they made.
2: Well, it's odder that she told Big that he slapped her, which is actually very manipulative and dark when you think about it. I mean, it works for their dynamic, but yes. That said, he was a bad hang at the dinner party. He did act like a baby, forcing Carrie to skip her party with her friends, fans to go to what was not even the opening was the preview yeah of his big retrospective and it's like babes like the curator has seen the show like it's you already installed it like it's good
0: well a few things i mean there is the writer's intention with petrovsky which they built him up to be the perfect partner but it was always daddy mpk's intention that she would end up with big so they really did in those like last three or four episodes of the series have to pivot him into being yeah a bad hang Although, to be fair, there were signs before, right? When she brings her four girlfriends up while he's working, which I'm on Petrovsky's side with this, where it's like, I'm in the middle of working. Like, I'm not in, I'm not in like hanging with Oscar De La Renta greeting mode. Like, that is someone who like very much compartmentalizes. Yeah. But I also think. But
2: also, he could just like say hi to them. It's like he doesn't have to like stop what he's doing and go sit down and have a drink. But he can be like, oh, I'm obviously working, but like, let's stand here and chat for five minutes. But this is the other thing
0: inherent with Petrovsky, which is you're not dating your equal, you're dating an icon. You're dating an older man who has a very established career and that comes first. So you either have to be okay with that or not. He either is gonna have to be in some like light fixture K-hole in his studio for three days. (laughs) And you're either gonna have to like, be okay with not having kids and moving to Paris and then being done with that and like moving to Berlin four years later or wherever else he feels the mood to go to. I think about... When Ellen DeGeneres was talking about her and Portia, that Ellen DeGeneres is such a, a home buying freak that Portia just had to get cool with like every three years, they're going to pack everything up and move to a new house. Like you either have to be into that or not.
2: They're actually crazy for doing that. And yes, I do have Ellen DeGeneres' decorating book. I forget what it's called.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to be like, yes, I've
2: moved into three different places over the last four years, but... I mean, yeah, but not not Ellen's style. No. No. Ellen style. So it's like you see this book and it's like yeah, you see the same like Hermès throws and the same Basquiat in like 50 different houses because she's lived in so many houses. Yeah, they're they're nuts. They're nuts. I understand investing in real estate. I don't understand moving like a fucking nomad like you're fucking Sharon Mermaids or something just within Bel Air, Beverly Hills and Montecito.
0: Very true. But I guess that's my point is with Petrovsky and with some relationships, especially I feel when there's an age imbalance and this is not me accusing anyone of being groomed. I don't think Carrie was groomed by Petrovsky, <laughs> but there is an inherent power imbalance where someone is the more powerful person and you either have to be like, all right, it's his show and I'm gonna sit back and I'm a writer and maybe I'll write novels and I'll just follow him around or you gotta tell your ex who just shows up in Paris that he slapped you. I don't know, Justice for Petrovsky Oh for sure. I mean they did a hard pivot to be like Annie's a piece of shit now. Yeah.
1: Hello. I think I heard in one of your episodes that you guys were in college around two thousand three, if I'm not mistaken. I just saw this documentary called Meet Me in the Bathroom, which talked about the early aughts and essentially the history of how like the strokes and yeah, 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 and LCD sound system, Interpol, all of these bands came up around that time. So if you guys were in college around this time, I was wondering if you had any recollection of this movement or if you you know caught any shows at any point just wanted to see if there was anything that you guys experienced um it it was pretty nostalgic
2: i have not seen this movie i have not read the book although i heard the book was really good i don't think the documentary
0: is out just yet really i think it's on showtime oh i don't have showtime that's probably why i'm like i don't know oh see i have to have it
2: because of the l word generation q and all
0: that almost sound like QAnon. QAnon. Yeah. <laughs> but this is where I think our four-year age difference gets in the way because I moved to New York in the fall of 2006. When did you move again? 2003. So yeah, you were like right in it. I think,
2: or wait, when was the night of that big blackout? That's that 2003, was 2003, yeah. That was the night I moved to New York. <laughs> I, like it out, I can always figure it out that way. Yeah, and that definitely was the peak of that kind of shit in New York. And yeah, I I wasn't in the scene, but I definitely did go to stroke shows and yeah, yeah, yeah shows and all of that stuff at the time. It felt like an exciting time in music. And it felt like that was the last time that rock bands from New York did achieve massive worldwide fame in that way
0: yeah it's funny because by the time i moved to new york i felt like new york was over at least the new york that i had idolized because cbgb's closed in december of 2006 and i moved there in september 2006 and it felt like all right like this movement is kind of over whatever that meant
2: See, when I moved to New York, you could still smoke in bars. So I feel like that was a line in the sand.
0: But I remember the big cultural moment when I was in college, or at least the beginning of college, was the misshapes. And that, oh, of course. That felt like the equivalent to Studio 54 for... We weren't even called millennials then. Remember, we were Gen Y? That's why they're Gen Z. Gen Y didn't right. didn't hold up very, uh, very well, but... Well, that was also
2: like folded into kind of like Electro Clash. There was a lot of, in addition to the people doing garage rock and stuff, like the Strokes and the White Stripes, and then there was all the bands that were more like no-wave post-punk, like the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and the Liars. There were then the people doing the electronic music, like LCD Sound
0: System and the Misshapes, all of that kind of blended together. And then the photography element, like Cobra Snake and Misshapes taking point and flash, photos of people at parties, putting them up on websites, on blogs, was the beginning of the indie sleaze movements. And so it's so funny now to see Gen Z obsessed with that aesthetic. Yeah, it wasn't
2: really good. It was very, the fashion, I mean, the fashion of the misshapes era was very much based on like the 80s and like new wave stuff.
0: And buying a gold lame bodysuit in American Yeah, apparel. it was a lot of American apparel. I don't know. Maybe it just like, has it been long enough? Evidently it has because Gen Z is reappropriating that. But, but that's- Okay, we
2: need to stop talking about Gen Z so much because it makes us sound like- Old? 8,000 years. Yes. I'm. This is it. This is the last time- Okay. We are mentioning Gen Z.
0: But it's just, it's funny for that to come back in vogue because I remember first moving to New York and feeling like, oh, there's no culture that's going to last. And so to see the, those type of outfits, that type of photography come back is interesting. It is weird that it's been so long now i remember going to the last lcd sound system show the one that was at madison square garden okay i still
2: don't understand how enough people cared for them to sell out madison square garden like to this day that just i don't it does not compute to me because i i saw lcd sound system never really cared about them to be honest but like i don't know you just
0: end up like seeing shit the craziest thing is I wasn't even that big of an LCD sound system fan. It's just my group of friends were like, we're all getting tickets. And I just happened to be the only one that got a ticket. So I just went by myself and had this. I had like... Wait, that was like kind of recently though, right? Or like 2008 or something. It was like 2011.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's 11 years ago, Chuck. I'm just saying that was like way after the point of that band being like... Right. The hot band, like relevant, like well, when I saw them.
0: Also, I mean, to go back to the to the raft thing like it was a band that was like and we're done and we're never performing again which turned out not to be true <laughs> but yeah, of course
2: and now it's just like reunion tours left and right and which now- is
0: fine i i would see the strokes i guess although i have not i feel like they have yes. been touring uh and so much time has passed that now there can be a documentary about it yeah we gotta watch it all right last last question or a question I have for you. Lauren, <laughs>
2: what's on your what's on your Christmas list this year? What do you want Santa to get you? And by Santa you mean you? Me? Anyone like what? What's your vibe? Cuz it's that time of year where you're starting to think like what do I want, you know? True.
0: I've had a mission to wear more jewelry. Like, I, I'm i blessed and I have very nice jewelry, or I have, like, very cheap jewelry. But I don't have just, like, in between those two things. And I keep getting fed this direct-to-consumer company, Dorsey, or Dorsey, which is lab-grown diamond necklaces.
2: Oh, yeah. I think I just... Listen to a podcast ad for that, but recently. I just want
0: not exactly a choker, but just like a th- a thin necklace of a uh, lab grown diamonds. Just as like an everyday thing,
2: an everyday diamond necklace. Yep, is that possible? Like that's not an ever. You can't just wear that with like a t shirt.
0: You look crazy. Yeah, girls do. I see it on Instagram all the time. Okay, so it's an Instagram thing. That's how I first saw the company. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. I mean, there's another one on Moda Operandi. That's not diamonds, but it's just like my other issue is cuz I have these Gel-X extensions, like a necklace I can put on with these long nails. Right, like, cuz you're a cripple with those. That's ableist. Wait, is that
2: a necklace or my su-
0: No, it's the necklace. The
2: sunglasses. No, okay, the I'm looking at the necklace.
0: Okay. But like stuff like this. Okay. It's like 325. See,
2: jewelry really doesn't speak to me these days. I don't know what it is. I mean, obviously Elsa pretty forever. And you can always get affordable pieces from that if it's like a lighter or something. Yeah, well,
0: I also had the thumbprint trio of dishes that Elsa Peretti does.
2: Yeah, I want more Elsa Peretti-like home stuff, like the tchotchkes, like the paperweights and the, you know, frames and stuff. Good to know. I want something from the J.W. Anderson Carey collection because I don't want to actually have to buy it because it's expensive. I assume because of the licensing stuff. Right. Or it's expensive compared to like his normal clothes, which are already expensive. I want that new Dita Blair book that just came out. I want Diptyque like made like a pumpkin candle. You know, I want that.
0: Okay, that's good to know.
2: And I need a new pair of boots. Like I really like- That are not tabbies? <sighs> yeah, I can't be walking around like a horse all the time like you know I just like want like like a square toe but not like full western you know what I mean okay I don't know I need to figure this out because I really need to refresh that's what's lacking in my life is boots I
0: feel like all I have are boots yeah that is that is true I should get some of yours we're the same size that's true. You can test some of them out. I I got these Céline boots that are one in black and then one in in suede. That are it's kind of a mixture of like like an Al Pacino and Scarface like Cuban boots, but it kind of looks Western. I like that it's like a a mishmash of a couple of different styles.
2: Yeah, I'm finding it hard. Like, you know when you look for something and like everything is ugly. Yes. You're like. Every boot I've ever seen is like, it's like, that's where I'm at right
0: now. I need to figure it out. Acne probably has some good boots, right? Maybe. Yeah, I could look. Anyway. <laughs> but I would also say, because we went to Italy this weekend, and I feel like the hardest category to buy presents for are for your parents, especially at the age we're at now, because they have everything. They don't need more stuff. Yeah. But Italy had these wonderful gift sets that they have at different price points and it has a bunch of great Italian food things in them. And that's the type of gift I enjoy giving, especially to like a parent or a friend who kind of has everything, is like a lot of different stuff, but something that someone else has figured out. Flamingo Estates also does...
2: Oh yeah, they've really figured out the gift box culture. Yeah, I'm trying to see if you can get those delivered, like from the Italy website. Like you can, can you shop. Okay,
0: Flamingo Estates. That's why I'm recommending it. Flamingo Estates in Italy. You can buy these boxes online. Just type in Italy gift box, Flamingo Estates gift box, and then Flamingo Estates. I just looked is having a you know Black Friday Cyber Monday sale, so you can get this stuff for a deal. Fab, and your parents will be so impressed.
2: Yeah, I haven't figured out my Black Friday situation yet. TikTok. Oh, this is so cute. This is what I want. Look, it's a pizza cutter shaped like a cat. Do you see that? Oh, $7.90. That's a steal. I'll add that to my Pinterest. Oh, this is another hot tip. Shopping for gifts is so much easier if you make a dedicated Pinterest board. Because then you're like, maybe I'll get that. Maybe I'll get them that. And then you look at everything and you just figure it out. I have like the general Christmas folder that I have like Tat, my mom, you know, my dad, Tat's mom. Am I not in this? Well, I have a general friends category. It's not Oh, wow. I'm a
0: general friend. Yeah. I'm regretting the special gift I got you. That's my tip. Uh, Yeah, I do the equivalent of that, but in a notes app with links. That's how our brains function. See, that's I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong.
2: I used to do that. That was me before. Now you've seen the light. Now I've seen the light. Anywho, um, I guess this is coming out on Black Friday. So happy Black Friday, everyone.
0: Yeah, I hope you're listening to this as you're waiting in line at Best Buy. Who does that No one's ever gone to
2: a physical store on Black Friday. No
0: but we hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving or perhaps you didn't and you're hiding in your basement or your old room right now listening to our podcast. Yeah, sending prayers to you. Yeah, this is the first Thanksgiving I realized in six years that we're not spending Thanksgiving together.
2: Oh, wow. Anyway, everyone enjoy your festivities and uh, we'll be back next week.
0: All right, guys. Bye. Bye.